Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Edgy talk. Plain talk. Unrivaled talk. Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. There is an awful lot to be getting on with. It's Monday morning, the sky's blue, the sun is shining. It's a beautiful day out there. Uh, No more catastrophizing of the weather, I see. Uh, It's a very sort of mild and mold 23, 24 degrees. It might get a bit hotter coming up to the bank holiday weekend, but so what? It's very nice. It would be nice if we could go to the beach, wouldn't it? But you can't go to the beach, I'm afraid. Certainly not anywhere near Sussex because the beaches from Hastings on the east side of Sussex uh, to Brighton uh, in the centre, I'm afraid, are all contaminated with sewage. I'm afraid I don't really want to start the show talking about that, but I'm afraid I have to mention it because, apart from anything else, it made it impossible for me to walk uh, my amazing Labrador, uh, who likes to go down to the beach and do a bit of uh, paddling and a bit of swimming. We won't be going back there for a very, very long time because it is actually a health hazard and it is a ridiculous state of affairs for this country to have such a huge swathe of the south coast overrun with pollution because the water companies apparently can't handle what happens when it rains a lot. Absolutely extraordinary. Meanwhile, uh, there's an eight-day strike that's been kicked off by the Unite workers down at Felixstowe, uh, up in Suffolk there. The docks are going to be closed down for a considerable period of time. Some people are catastrophizing that, saying, oh, we're going to run out of all sorts of stuff. Well, are we? Are you sure? Meanwhile, in the Conservative Party, uh, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak continue not to make much of an impact. Bring back Boris, uh, is the phrase being mostly touted by Conservative Party members, because they say they're not particularly impressed. I'm afraid, with either Ms Truss or Mr Sunak, and I'm afraid that is where we are, ladies and gentlemen. We're almost near the point where, in a couple of weeks' time, we will have a new Prime Minister, but nobody really wants Boris back now, do they? I mean, let let him come back after the next disaster in the Tory party, and maybe that would be a way to go. Barristers are going to go on strike as well. They're waiting until September the 5th to do that. Uh, We'll, of course, be talking about all manner of things, including uh, the NHS and how long you have to wait on the phone before they start to see you. Uh, The RAF recruiter is in the news once more. And Whittakem is going to be here to talk to us. Peter Hitchens as well. Uh, He's going to talk to us about the kind of ridiculous infantilisation of the world, how we've somehow managed to not be able to do anything without being given some instructions. Absolutely ridiculous. A bit of royal family action. And Lawrence Fox is going to be here too. You might remember last time we spoke to him, uh, he's talking about being Hunter Biden in a new movie, uh, which is being bankrolled by Breitbart. Uh, He's in that. He's going to talk to us about all of that. 
plus much more besides. 0344 499 1000 is the number. You know that's the number to ring. We need your common sense as well as our own. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's do it. Welcome back to Talk TV, here with you all the way through the day and all the way through the night, of course, as well. Let us, without further ado, uh, go to our first guest, former government minister, of course, Ms Anne Whittaker. Anne, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you, too. Hope you're having a good summer, Anne. I've been enjoying the weather. It's been rather splendid. It's cooled down a little bit now and it's um, lovely. I was in London walking around last night. It's it's, uh, suitably sort of Mediterranean in its uh, atmosphere. It's great. Well, lucky old you. Here on Dartmoor, it's rain and mist. Oh, is it? All I can see from my window. Yes. Oh dear. Well, I mean, I suppose the water uh, will do the uh, no end of good for the for the for the land. Let's kick things off with the water because the water companies seem to have gone from bad to worse. They've literally, you know, squandered an, a huge amount of money that they get from the people who pay for the stuff that falls from the sky. They can't seem to actually stop it from leaking into the ground. And then when it does finally rain, they can't seem to handle what to do with the rain. And now we've got this terrible situation on the south coast where literally yeah. this, this sort of wave of pollution from Hastings to Brighton means it's impossible to, to, to go to the sea. It's awful. Uh, it is awful. I mean, the idea that, you know, in this country we, could, we can have beaches contaminated by sewage um, is, is really rather horrifying. And it can only be the product of neglect. Mm. I mean, sometimes there's just bad luck, you know, and you can't expect everything to go right all the time in any business. Um, but this has got to be the accumulation uh, of a long period of neglect. Yes, I think that's right. Because they have been doing this considerably uh, every single year and they continually be, get fined but I'm told that they continue to allow the fines to come because it's cheaper to pay the fines than it is to fix the problem Yeah well there's a very straightforward solution to that um, which is that um, they should actually be taken to court uh, by the government if necessary uh, and find something which they're unlikely to forget. Yes exactly right and do you think there's any room because this is kind of stretching into the energy companies as well do you think there's any room for a sort of new model for our utility companies because all the energy companies and all the water companies they don't seem to be run terribly well they don't seem to be run for the with the consumer in mind the regulators don't seem to regulate them terribly well I mean we're expecting another one of these energy caps to come on which isn't really so much as a cap as a, as a rise in the in the cost of it do you think there could be something, I'm not talking about nationalisation, something in between, a sort of blended version of, of public ownership? Could that work? Well, I, I don't think so. I mean, I can remember the days of nationalisation uh, and it was horrendous. Uh, electricity was a state monopoly um, and uh, therefore they had nobody to answer to. They had no possibility of any competition at all. You couldn't move to another company because there wasn't one. And you just had to accept whatever standards they threw at you. I mean, the worst was the telephones. If anybody who can remember those days will remember when red box after red box was out of order. This was long before mobile, so you depended on mm. these things. When you had to wait 18 months to get a telephone line installed, yeah. you know, you a party line. They came and repaired it when they fancied doing it. Uh, so, uh, I mean, uh, now, uh, privatisation, I think, has made a difference. That The trouble is we've all got used to it, and now we're starting to see some of the downsides of the way that things operate, and we think all the answers, nationalisation or some um, bastardised form of nationalisation, it's not. The answer is more efficient working and some real competition, some real competition in the energy mm. industry. 
Yes. No, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I remember those days as well. And the phone industry has been completely transformed. And the phone industry is one of the world's success stories, I suppose. But you can't say the same about the energy companies. And when I look at what goes on there and the fact, for example, that the standing charge has gone up recently because we apparently as consumers must pay for, for companies that were in the business but have now failed. And I don't see why we should do that. And that to me is a kind of state socialism anyway, because we're forced to pay for that. We're also forced to pay the green levy, which puts our bills up even higher. Yeah, and and we, it doesn't feel like capitalism to me. No, the green levy is, is, is an absolute scandal uh, and, and should be removed. Um, but don't let's forget that the current pressure uh, on the energy companies is uh, is external. It is as a result of the war in Ukraine, or largely. Uh, it is as a result of the fact that successive governments of both parties, and that includes the coalition, simply did nothing about making us self-sufficient in energy. So inevitably, when there's a global shortage, uh, our prices are going to go up. And, and the real problem is less the energy companies, though they're certainly contributing to it, but less them than the short-sightedness of government over about three or four decades. Mm. Purely short-sighted. Yes, but that's the worry, isn't it? The infrastructure that should have been attended to, um, the plans that should have been made, um, and the idea that we should have been self-sufficient rather than importing everything, um, should have been planned many, many moons ago, many governments ago, but it wasn't. No, uh, uh, of course it should have been. Of course we should have planned nuclear. I mean, it takes a very long time to get a nuclear installation uh, up and running, let alone several of them. Um, and that is what we should have been concentrating on doing, instead of which we bought our nuclear energy from France um, and uh, you just ran away from that here. Uh, we concentrated on all the green nonsense so that you've got wind farms despoiling the countryside and despoiling the beaches mm. everywhere, the seas everywhere you look. Um, and yet without efficiency of result. So uh, I, you know, I would blame uh, a whole succession of governments for the mess we're in now. Yeah. should never have happened. And it was, you know, people just sticking their heads in the sand and saying, oh, well, it's all right. You know, we'll always be able to buy our energy from somewhere. Yeah. And at what a price. Yeah, well, exactly right. And then this net zero sort of obsession, which has seemingly filled everybody uh, in every single walk of political life with, with, you know, a sort of fervour to do something good. It's completely ruined the economy and continues to ruin the economy. And looking at Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, I'm not sure that, I mean, the best we can get is from Liz Truss, I think, who says that she's willing to suspend the net zero uh, tariffs and the net zero taxes. And I mean, surely we need somebody to stand up and go, this is going to you know, to ruin the world's economy. Well, the point about net zero is it's disproportionate. Um, and, you know, we already contribute less than 1% of the world's carbon emissions. Um, and the point of, of trying to get to a complete zero situation when China is just belting stuff into the atmosphere mm. the whole time is just a nonsense. It is a nonsense and it's become a doctrinal nonsense. It's almost a religion. Now, I'm not talking about climate change. I'm talking about climate alarmism mm. and disproportionate reactions, um, certainly uh, from Britain. Anyway, completely disproportionate. Yes, absolutely. Totally and utterly. And I mean, looking at uh, both Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, getting down to the wire, I suppose, probably the most dull election race I think I've ever seen between two people. I'm, I really don't, I don't know what to make of it, really. Um 
But they're now saying that most Conservative voters would actually quite like Boris back because they don't get any kind of zing at all from these two. Oh, I don't blame them. I mean, the reason that Boris uh, Boris was um, ejected was uh, very straightforwardly panic. Mm. Uh, Panic. You've got a very, very second-rate parliament. You've got very, very second-rate members of parliament. Not all of them. There are some good ones. Uh, But you've got a very, very poor parliamentary party there. Um, and uh, instead of just keeping their nerve and, you know, taking a long perspective and understanding that what today's polls are showing is not what will necessarily be the case in a couple of years' time, any more than it reflects what was happening a couple of years ago, uh, totally unable to do that. So he was um, he was deposed because of panic. Now, he made mistakes. Of course he did. Uh, but we knew when we got Boris... Uh, that he didn't always think before he spoke. We knew that. Yes, we did. But, I mean, equally, I'm not sure he can come back at the moment from what uh, he had to leave for. And it was a parliamentary kind of decision, as it were. It wasn't a a decision made by the members. But my criticism of Boris Johnson, we'll pick this up after the break, because we've got to go to one in a minute. My criticism of him was that he wasn't doing enough uh, conservative policy. He wasn't doing the things he said he was going to do. They hadn't stopped the migrants coming uh, to the south coast of this country. They hadn't got away with net zero. If anything, it was getting worse. Um, and, you know, all of the money that was given away during the lockdowns and the furloughs and everything else, I mean, it was all almost designed to completely and utterly ruin the economy. And now we seem to be a country which is dependent upon government giveaways, which, of course, isn't a giveaway because it's our money to begin with. But we'll come back. I'll leave, you, I'll leave you with that thought because we've got to stop for a moment. We're talking to Anne Widdicombe, uh, former government minister, of course. I want to ask her about prisoners as well, some of whom have been getting universal credit while they're in jail, believe it or not. Uh, this is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, here with you all the way through until one o'clock, of course. Peter Hitchens will be here uh, coming up just after 11, and we're going to talk to Lawrence Fox. He's got a new movie coming out in which he plays Hunter Biden, uh, which should be fun. Jeremy Carl will be here because uh, he's got a show tonight, eight o'clock, Piers Morgan Uncensored. He's sitting in. Uh, I'll be on it as well. Lots to do, lots to talk about. And Whittacombe uh, is here with us as well, former Minister of State for Prisons. And... Um, what I said just before uh, we went to the break was about how the Conservative Party, and you and I have spoken about this before, had sort of ceased to become very conservative, it seemed to me. Yes, and, and that also is something that's, that's been going on for years. I don't think you could have called Cameron a conservative. No. Um, I definitely don't think you could have called Theresa May a conservative. Uh, and uh, what we mean by conservatives is small state for yes. a start, and, and the state gets larger and larger. Uh, And we also mean low taxes and the taxes get higher and higher. Uh, So um, I no, I mean, if you ask me, was Boris uh, a a true conservative? I think in spirit he was. But in practice, um, we didn't see very much of it. But to be fair about that. Uh, you know, nobody could have predicted the pandemic. That that just no. I think that's that. I think that yeah. yeah. I think that's fair enough, and nobody could have. Although it now does seem as though an awful lot of the decisions that were made um, could have been differently made, and we were sort of fed this fait accompli that well, we must do this because it's the only option that we have. And, you know, I'm not going to be critical of somebody uh, who didn't realise that they could have done something different. But I think it went on too long. I think the furlough money went on too long. You know, the uh, we now have a, a whole load of people who don't ever want to go back to work. We've got the work from home brigade. We've got the civil service that still seemingly doesn't work in an office. It's madness, isn't it? Well, you and I disagree on working from home, as we've, uh, we've, we've uh, discussed before and indeed argued about before. 
Um, uh, but I think that you're right that some decisions could have been different, but they were having to be taken in the immediacy. You didn't have the advantage of saying, well, you know, we'll research this, we'll, we'll get a few groups looking at mm. it. And you had to take some immediate decisions. And I do understand that when you do that, it's just like a war. You're going to lose some battles. You're going to get some wrong. You know, it's going to be a high cost yes. to pay. Uh, so um, I'm not prepared to condemn them, although I don't agree with a lot that happened and said at the time that I didn't. Universal lockdowns, for example, I never did support. Mm. Um, I always supported selective lockdowns of, of the most vulnerable, but not universal lockdowns. But nevertheless, you know, I accept the fact that these were decisions that had to be taken quickly. Some of them were bound to be wrong. Mm. Yes, I think so. But most people I talk to now say we can't believe what we were doing, you know, because you look back on some of the stuff that we were asked to do by the government, which actually on the face of it was completely bonkers. And well, you know, going yeah, into a pub and saying you can have, you know, 10 tables of six, but you can't have six tables of 10 and you have to have a scotch egg every time you want to have a drink. Otherwise, um, and you can't go to the bar, you have to sit at a table and you have to put a mask on if you go to the toilet, but you can take it off when you sit down. I mean, it was just ridiculous, right? It, it, it was ridiculous at the time, and there were a lot of decisions that were taken which should have been perceived to be ridiculous. For example, uh, when Matt Hancock tried a curfew yes. on uh, pubs and hospitalities, and so everybody poured out at exactly the same time. Yeah, so well, well, what he time. should have what he should have had uh, was a, was a curfew on Matt Hancock, and then he might have stayed out of trouble. <laughs> but unfortunately, he didn't. Um, but let's talk about the strikers because this is hardly the time, is it, for the RMT? to do what they just did, which was to more or less paralyse the railway system for yeah. almost an entire week. We've now got uh, the dockers, the Unite dockers in Felixstowe, who are going to go on an eight-day strike. We've got barristers who are going to go on uh, an indefinite two-week strike, I think, uh, in September. I mean, there does seem to be an awful lot of people who just want to damage the economy for its own sake. I mean, the average pay in Felixstowe on these on these docks is 43000 a year. I think... It's not a question of wanting to damage the economy uh, so much as wanting not to have any personal inconvenience from the situation that we're in. Mm. And the, my fear is of a wage price spiral, which we all saw in the 70s. Those of us who lived through it know exactly what happens. Prices go up inevitably because of global situations. People demand that their wages go up in order to meet the prices. And if their wages go up, the costs are higher, so the prices go up. And yeah. so it goes on in a vicious spiral. Mm. That's what the RMT is risking. And I have to say here, and it is a bit of a big mic, thank God for working from home, because a lot of people have just been able to say to the RMT, well, go on strike. We yeah. won't well, that's true. Um, but interestingly enough, on, on, in London on Friday, where a lot of people do use the underground, even if they are, um, you know, um, not, not you know, because they have to go to work and it's the only way really to get to work. I mean, it was a horrendous situation for anybody who was trying to get to work, driving and all of that. And the train companies as well have sort of fallen into disrepair. They, you know, the, the Manchester line, the, the West Coast line um, has more or less gone into um, a sort of free fall. They say, we, well, we can't take any more bookings. Well, the only thing that can conceivably be done about the strikes is uh, to go down the route that Margaret Thatcher went down, but to go down even further, uh, which is to use law. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a blunt instrument, but, you know, uh, negotiations have been tried for a very long time now and they failed because the RMT will not accept that just like everybody else in the country, we've all got to do this and it will hurt some more than others. I acknowledge that. But we've all got to accept that we will be worse off in order to defeat inflation. Yeah. Because if we don't have the cost push 
of ever higher wages than we can defeat inflation. Without it, we can't. And what do you say to all those people that say now, because we've left the European Union, this is all the fault of Brexit, because you hear this <laughs> all the time, don't you? I was having a row with somebody the other day. I said, well, you might as well say that I'm now going to work because of Brexit. You might now say that I'm doing more work because of Brexit or, you know, I've had a nice holiday in Italy because of Brexit. You can say anything. Uh, it's because of Brexit. It doesn't make it true. No, and I mean, I think the most egregious example was uh, the chaos at airports. And everybody said, oh, it's due to Brexit. Yeah. This chaos was in Sweden. I didn't know they'd left the EU. Uh, the second biggest chaos was in Amsterdam, but they left the EU. Yeah. Dublin left the EU. There was chaos everywhere. To a certain extent, I understand why people don't see the bigger picture, because frankly, uh, the BBC and indeed the media in general, not just the BBC, do not give us the wide picture. Mm. They concentrate on the chaos in Britain because that makes a dramatic headline. They don't actually mention at the same time, oh, by the way, this is big experience uh, in a lot of other countries. Right. No, I mean, I was told it's going to be a nightmare because when you go to Europe, you have to get your passport stamped. Well, I grew up getting my passport stamped. I'd rather like getting my passport stamped. And I can tell you, I flew into Brindisi in Italy um, at the end of July, and it took no longer to get my passport stamped than it used to take for them to look at my passport, which they always did anyway. And then when Dover sort of blew up, it was very clear that was nothing to do with uh, us leaving the European Union. It was all to do with the French not putting enough people on to work. Which was almost certainly deliberate. Yeah, almost certainly, because it passed after about the first two days. It all went away, didn't it? Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. It, was, it was quite deliberate. Yeah. The French have been obstructive throughout. That's why we cannot rely on them to help us with the migrant problem. You've got to write off France's help altogether yeah. and solve it purely from a British angle. Yes, absolutely right. One final one for you. You'll enjoy this story in the sun today. Criminals getting hundreds of pounds of taxpayers' cash via universal credit while in jail. I'm pleased to say that they've admitted it's actually an error. They're not doing it deliberately. But, I mean, for heaven's sake, they don't even know these people are in prison and they're still paying them. Uh, yeah, it, it is a mistake. It's not a policy. And what's more, and this will cheer you up somewhat more, um, it's not only a mistake, but it's a mistake that can be rectified because we can actually get back the money that has been yeah. uh, invalidly paid. Yes, brilliant stuff. Well, Anne, delightful as ever to see you. I hope the rain and the mist lifts and you get some sun this afternoon in Dartmoor. Uh, Anne Winnicombe, formerly Minister of, Minister of State for Prisons. I've uh, got lots of uh, you wanting to get on. Do make the call, 0344 499 uh, I've got this from Dancing Queen. It's in East Kent too, Mike. A total of nine Kent beaches could have polluted waters from sewage discharge caused by the recent storms. Well, it's not really the recent storms. It's just the recent rain. You know, the rain fell. It, that's what it does. It falls from the sky. You collect it in reservoirs, except we haven't built any reservoirs for, you know, nigh on 30 years. Because why? Oh, yeah. Climate change. Brilliant. Fantastic. This is Talk TV. Uh, we'll be back after the news. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you all the way through until one o'clock. Nick Dubois uh, is in for Ian Collins all this week and of course uh, he'll be taking you all the way through uh, until drive at four uh, with Dr David Bull. Uh, front page of The Sun this morning, bloodbath on the streets, Tyson's hell as cousin is knife to death. That's right. Uh, it turns out that uh, we've been talking about knife crime for quite some time on this show. We talked about it last week indeed because new figures came out to show that more and more knife crime was being detected uh, but fewer uh, people were actually being jailed for the knife crime, I think is right to say. Um, it now turns out that Tyson Fury's cousin uh, was knifed. Um, Rice Burton, Re is it Rice? Rico Burton, uh, who was uh, stabbed to death in a bloodbath in Altrincham in Greater Manchester, aged 31. 
Um, it was plunged into the neck uh, of this guy, and he happens to be related to somebody famous, Tyson Fury. It doesn't matter in the end, but Tyson Fury has used his fame to make a big deal of this and say, look, it's time we did something about this, because it is surely time we did something about this, because this is not just a problem in London, it's a problem in all inner city areas. We had a report at the end of last week in which it said that the most dangerous city in the entire continent of Europe is in this country, and it's Bradford, uh, second only uh, to that is Coventry. So the two most dangerous cities in Europe, mind you, are in Britain, which surely uh, is a stain on our nation. Let's talk to Peter Blexley, former Met Police detective, to see what we can do. Peter, a very good morning to you. Good morning. I mean, um, so much to take in there, I know. But talking of, uh, you know, to have two cities in Britain as the most dangerous cities in Europe by crime and the amounts of crime that take place there, to have um, another man, and he's no more um, deserving of being named than any other man or woman that have been stabbed. But, you know, Tyson Fury's cousin is is now dead because of a fight outside a bar in Altrincham. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of stabbings. What's going on? Yes, I'm afraid it's a very, very gloomy picture. And, um, of course, my thoughts are with 31-year-old Rico, whose life has been snuffed out at yeah. such a such a young age yet another catastrophe more bloodshed and more hurt and pain for families and friends mm. just just appalling and of course we're hearing these sort of stories day after day after day um and of course as you rightly alluded to this is on the back of a story in the times which recently says only a quarter of those people convicted of carrying a knife actually receive a jail term mm. so i've heard politicians saying carry a knife, you'll go straight to jail. Um, but clearly that isn't happening. Um, it's a complex landscape. We need some joined up thinking. But really, as citizens, I think we should be in uproar because there is too much blood being spilt. Yes. And, you know, you get the sense, I certainly do, um, when I'm walking around in London, that there's a bit of an air of menace about the place now. You know, you see groups of kids coming towards you. You think, oh, what are they going to do? Um, it reminds me of when I lived in New York in the 80s, when it was very much like that. It was very much a kind of a um, Wild West sort of feel to the place. And you don't know when street crime is going to happen. But you can see people going past you on bikes who look as if they're up to no good. You can see people on these scooters who look as if they're about to rob people. You know, I was told by Will Geddes the other day, there's been an uh, sort of epidemic of, of, of phone thefts, watch thefts going on in Kensington. Um you know, again, I suppose it comes back to the police, doesn't it? That people don't fear the police, they don't see them very often, and therefore they commit crime pretty much willy-nilly. Well, unfortunately, there is way too much crime being committed on our streets. Um, I think, actually, it's great testimony to the overwhelming majority of Londoners and people in other parts of the UK who are massively, overwhelmingly law-abiding. Yeah. I think it's testimony to all the law-abiding people that we haven't got even more crime. But that's scant consolation if you become a victim. And sadly, you are more likely to become a victim mm. of crime these days. The police have surrendered patrolling the streets in many parts of the UK because they're too busy dashing from one 999 call to another. So seeing that local cop walking down the street at a very sort of um, steady pace, perhaps with his or her arms clasped behind their back, nodding to people, saying hello, finding out what's going on in communities and reassuring people has sadly been lost. It needs to come back. Mm -hmm. The police need to engage with communities. They need to investigate crime. And when they start doing that, they'll find that public confidence will begin slowly to mm. return. 
Yeah, I mean, it was a video doing the rounds at the weekend of the police in Lincolnshire uh, doing the Macarena. You know, very well, I have to say, four of them doing a very nicely kind of choreographed dance. But in the end, you're kind of going... And people got very worked up on, on, on Twitter because they were like, well, hang on a minute. These guys are supposed to be arresting the bad guys. They're supposed to be patrolling the streets. They're not supposed to be dancing at some rally, at some march, you know. And it turned out that later that day in Lincoln, uh, there was a dispersal order issued because there was so much fighting going on in the city centre that they basically had to tell people not to go there. Yeah, I mean, it, it just creates a, a shocking image. It really does. When trust and confidence in the police is so low... Um, to see these officers prancing and dancing, well, when really they could be, for example, if they were the, at that event, they could be patrolling the perimeter, the the exits and the entry points, engaging with people that way, perhaps searching um, people if necessary and justified. There's so much police work they could have been doing other than, quite frankly, yeah. making idiots of themselves. Well, quite. And what sort of uh, sort of moronic order is that? I mean, who would have told them to do that? Presumably somebody in the police force in Lincoln would have said, yeah, why don't you go and do some dancing? It's utterly astonishing. I look back to my days in uniform, which were a long time ago, and whilst you can find images from the 70s and the 80s of officers dancing, for example, at the Notting Hill Festival, yeah. Notting Hill Carnival, right. you know, I think that was really the beginning of the rot. Mm. Um, you need to engage with communities. And prancing and dancing is really not the way to do it. It's not what you're paid to do. No. You're a police officer. Show me somewhere in police instructions where it says dancing is a part of your duty. Mm. Absolutely right. wasting public time and money. There is so much better things they could be doing to protect, to protect, to, to prevent and detect and investigate crime rather than behaving so foolishly. Exactly right. Paul has uh, texted in, uh, tweeted in rather, he says, nobody carries a knife around for protection, it's for one thing only to commit a crime. But we do hear from, from sort of youth leaders and from uh, from some of the kids themselves that they do carry knives for protection because they feel that they need to in this day and age. We do, and young people will often say that when they're arrested. It's almost a form of mitigation. That's why I'm carrying it, to protect myself. But the stats clearly show that if you take a knife out onto the streets, you are far more likely to become a victim of knife crime mm. yourself. You really are. The stats are undeniable. So not only are you increasing the risk of you using that knife, you are massively increasing the chances of you becoming a victim of knife crime. It's just folly. We've got to stop it. Yeah. I mean, is it a problem with knives being too easy to get? I know I've seen in the past that there are websites where you can get one of these ridiculously large sort of Rambo-style hunting knives and just get it sent to your house. You don't even have to prove who you are, prove what age you are, nothing. You can just buy one. Yeah, and there, there is, of course, an obligation on some of these retailers, particularly the online retailers, to get a grip of this because it is undoubtedly contributing to bloodshed. Yeah. If you try and buy a knife in a store these days, the reputable kind of shops are actually taking them off display, for example. Yeah. You will have to perhaps show them the type of knife that you want. And all credit to those retailers, that is extremely sensible and responsible action, even if it's a bit inconvenient for us as we're trying to buy a set of kitchen knives. Yeah, well, it can um, be. Yeah. I mean, I remember trying to buy a French knife once to cut some onions up, and they were some kind of thing, form to fill out or something. And they wouldn't sell me a pair of scissors once either. And they were like, we're not sure what you're going to do with them. I said, we think I'm going to do with them. But, you know, there is an illegal culture of knives that people carry around with them. 
yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to be inconvenienced in a store when buying knives or scissors if it prevents one young person going into a store and buying a knife with which they're going to commit some harm to somebody. Mm. I'm, I'm fine with that. I can live with that minor inconvenience. But we need joined up thinking here mm. uh, in order to try and tackle this scourge of knife crime and the tide of teenage blood that sadly is flowing through so many of our cities. Yeah. Joined up thinking, complex issues, yes, but essentially, if the police could get back to engaging with communities, knowing who the wrongans are because they police their patch, that would be a significant step forward. It would be. Peter, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Peter Blexley, former Metropolitan Police detective. What is the answer to all of this knife crime? How do you stop it? Is it amnesty time? Is it time to say to people, bring your knife in and drop it in a box? Um, we will say no more. We will not take any further action against you. Or uh, is it tougher than that, that the police have to be? 0344 499 1000 is the number. Loads more coming up right here on Talk TV. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Very interesting first hour. We talked about a great many things, of course. Anne Whittakin was here uh, telling us what she makes of the ridiculous uh, scenario whereby both Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak have made such a small impact on their own uh, Tory voters that they'd rather have Boris back, for heaven's sake. Uh, that's not going to happen, by the way. But we will have a new Prime Minister any day now. Peter Hitchens is here with us this morning. Uh, he's going to talk to us about a great many things, including, of course, uh, the stairway. Not to heaven, but to hell uh, in Paddington Station, where every single step of that stairway has a message on it. Uh, and we'll show you that picture. We'll also talk some more about the police and policing in this country. Knife crime, of course, as well. 0344 499 1000. The NHS is warning of another bleak winter. Well, it's a pretty bleak summer, isn't it? As far as the NHS is concerned. But anyway, that plus much more of your calls, many more of your calls, really, I should say. Uh, this is Talk TV. I am Mike Graham. It's the Independent Republic. Let's do it. Peter Hitchens, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you. How the devil are you? Did you have a good weekend? Uh, such as it was, yes. Yeah? How's Oxford at this time of year? Is it full of um, manic numbers of tourists? The tourists are beginning to come back. Right. Uh, London's absolutely rammed with tourists. Yeah, it's it's starting again. Mm. And you, the, 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 one of the very few th good things about the past couple of years has been a, a relief from that. But I always got rounded by, uh, by only really visiting the city on, in the dead of winter. Yes. Uh, or very early in the morning, mm. when you can still see what it's like. Because as a university town, presumably, it's a bit quiet. It should be it quieter. It is a bit. It's certainly, it, it's certainly a, a, especially now it has two universities, and they're both so huge. Yeah. Uh, there's a definite uh, a definite quiet, but it's nothing like the quiet that I used to remember that used to settle on the city. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In the, in the 60s, mm. before tourism really took off. Yes. I was out in London um, just around here last night quite late and went out for dinner and it's got a lovely feel to it at the moment the kind of mediterranean feel of people just sort of walking around it's like quite quite warm people are sort of wearing very loose fitting and clothes shorts t-shirts that kind of thing it doesn't feel like london it feels like another city well exactly it's still too warm for me <laughs> i don't I, I i long for for the actual autumn to get going the autumn's great i do like it but anyway let's enjoy what we have while we have it uh, tell us about the stairs at pennington station because um i think we're going to see an image uh, very shortly of the, the, the most ridiculous the, number more, the, of messages more the stairs to china i think than the stairs to hell <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's just this constant being told what to do don't run take one step at a time breathe in mm. breathe out uh hold the handrail take one one, one of the signs <laughs> absurdly says take the lift uh yeah I, I, I think there are lifts there but you wouldn't please take use lifts but, yeah but, but i mean it, you're already... aren't we always being told now doctors are rightly i i say being being urged to prescribe cycling and walking yeah one of the things is also what's what's prescribed is going up the stairs instead of taking the lift. Mm. It's very strange. Well, I always used to marvel when I first went to live in New York where everybody lives in a high-rise building pretty much. Yeah. But they were all cramming themselves into uh, gyms in order to work themselves up to a frenzy on a stairmaster. And you're kind of going... You could actually just go up the stairs where you live every day instead of having an expensive gym membership well, the, where you, you simulate walking upstairs. No, that, that is true because it wouldn't be air-conditioned and there wouldn't be any pounding music to make it, no, uh, make it more bearable. No, that's true. And so, you might not meet the love of your life. But no, you might meet somebody else as well <laughs> you didn't want to meet coming down the other way. So I, I, can, I can understand that. The yeah. problem with America is they built a society in which you can't really walk. No. Most of the cities are very unwalkable. Very unwalkable. So, so you, you, you virtually have to take cars. Yeah. So that basic piece of easy exercise, which anybody can take for nothing mm. without joining a gym, mm. is, is just designed out of people's lives. Sure. That's why they do it. But I remember you and I having a conversation about um, London Bridge Station similarly, but not so much on the stairs, but just as I walked through it one day, and this would have been probably during the pandemic, um, just being constantly kind of shouted at or messages oh, being that's tannoyed true, yes. to me and then told by, you know, with lines on the floor, keep left, you know, walk, you know, in with a good distance between the person in front of you, you know, don't stand a metre closer, you know. Well, all that happened during the panic. Mm. And I think the people who were in charge of putting out all those posters saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't go to church, don't sing, yeah. uh, don't breathe, they, 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 they all feel a bit robbed of a task. Yes. So they've started making a more general point. There's another thing behind this, of course, as well, which is the terror in, in all major organizations being sued in the courts. Yes. 
And people think this is health and safety or human rights. It's not. It's Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. And it's the great unknown. It could all be. It could all be ended. Remember, there was a great cheese rolling contest yes. in the West Country that had yeah. to be had to be stopped because yeah. the, the the lawyers said you can't roll cheese. They even at one stage got rid of the the, the actual I think double Gloucester cheese, yeah. which was supposed to be rolled, and replaced it with a, with a foam substitute, <laughs> which wasn't as dangerous if it hit you. But this it is all to do object, with Margaret Thatcher and, and John Major sneakily introducing ambulance chasing lawyers into mm. this country in the in, in, in the uh, in the 1990s right. and so if you hadn't been warned about something that could happen you they might be that's liable. then it basically reduces the chance of you being sued it's like it's like contents maybe hot on a yes. cup of coffee or or the the, the old that may contain nuts yes. thing, which everybody well you said didn't you in your piece that you know who knows before before long you'll be opening a bottle of beer and it will say you know open another end, open another end yeah, at the bottom I, and, and, and and probably very wise because the way things are going that's that's but it could Easily be got rid of. Yeah. It, it, w- it could be legislated out of existence mm. in probably two days if anybody would only pay any attention. Everybody hates it. Yes, uh, it benefits nobody. One of the principal, and most people one of the principal it, sufferers it? from it is the National Health Service. Yes, which constantly, as a result, is besieged by ambulance chasing mm. and has to make incredible amounts of payouts. Uh, over this, yes, and it, which greatly increases the tax bill. It's been a complete disaster. The idea of it was to reduce legal aid costs. Uh, which it hasn't done, yeah. and they've continued to rise. Uh, and in general, the, 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 the country is, is more beset by lawyers than it was before. Yes. It's one of the biggest mistakes made by any modern government. It ought to be repealed, but nobody except me ever even talks about it. Well, so in, here in, I am saying, if anybody out there is listening who has any influence over any legislation, could you please look yeah. at this and get rid of it? Because it, there's, no, there's nothing to prevent a, a government with resolve simply reversing all this, and we mm. can go back to the way we were yeah. before. Because, funnily enough, I took my son, uh, who turned 18 this week, to the pub for the first time, even though it probably wasn't really the first time. Yes, well, okay, let's pretend. First time I'd officially taken him uh, as, a, as a fellow adult. And we were talking about, and he said, what was it like when you were 18? I said, I can't actually remember, but I'm pretty sure there wasn't much in the way of um, kind of rules about anything. You know, people didn't go around demanding that you showed them ID. They just said, you don't look old enough, I'm not going to serve you. They didn't go, have you got some fake ID to show me so we can all pretend that you're actually 18 when we really know that no, you're not? That again, it's this lawsuit fear. Yeah. If anything goes wrong, then... Mm. then but sure, I, I, the, the world was just in general more uh, more governed by people uh, deciding that they were going to behave themselves yeah. and by trust. Mm. And both of these things have been severely eroded, largely, in my view, by the collapse yeah. of religion in our society. So yes. People no longer have a reason to behave unless they feel they're being watched by a CCTV camera uh, or they're likely to be mm. sued by a lawyer. Yes. And if it's not covered by that, uh, then I'm afraid you're in trouble. Yeah. No, no one's, it's no, interesting no one's what you say because you. I think people have also found other things than religion to sort of worship, like climate change or oh, God, some kind it, of movement or other. These things are religions. They are, they're people trying to be good. Yeah. Uh, but what they often end up doing, and this is a fault with religions as well, instead of making themselves behave better, they end up lecturing other people mm. on how they should behave better, which is both irritating and But there are also about. people with a belief in something which can't be proven. Yes. You know, that is that is also quite true. But most serious beliefs are, are quite hard to prove. Yeah, no, quite. But what I'm saying is, is there's an awful lot of similarities, aren't Some, there, between you know the worshipping of climate change and the worshipping of whichever god you may wish to oh, worship. Completely. If you were reading a newspaper or or, or or a magazine of the Victorian era, you'd find assumptions about about precepts of the Christian religion being assumed to be right 
in everything you read, just as you find assumptions on the output of the BBC, particularly about the mm. rightness of the of, of man-made climate change and the, and the particular ways in which it should be combated, such as net zero, yeah. which uh, those of us with a more skeptical turn of mind say, well, actually, even if you're right about climate change, net zero is not a good way of approaching it. But these things are now mm. precepts. They mark you out as a good person. And if you don't support them, then you're really not a good person. Exactly. You you I mean, the BBC last week even outdid themselves by putting out a, a report on what to do in a thunderstorm, right? And it said... What do you do in a thunderstorm? Well, apparently, you must go for look for some inside cover. So they showed a guy walking into through a door where you can go inside. Uh, if you're in a car, the best thing to do, apparently, is to stay in the car because the, the lightning will strike the car and, and it will be earthed by the tyres. That's right. They didn't actually say yeah, earthed, but they should have said that. Um, and then they said, if you're in a field, you should crouch down and don't put up an umbrella. But they thought it was necessary to make a two-minute um, video to explain all this. Oh, OK. I mean, I, I, I don't find that as objectionable as, 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 as <laughs> a lot of people possibly these days don't know. People not, but why wouldn't you know? Because people don't live in the country. They, Is there a they, deficit they, 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 of they, knowledge They, they experience weather as something they, they see on a forecast or yeah. a window. Right. They're not often out in it. Country people know all about mm. the dangers. For instance, never stand under a tree right. during a thunderstorm. They, they know this. Just right. as people in in the in the tornado areas of the United States know the signs in the sky yes. of what's coming. Well, for the golfer Lee Trevino famously once said, "Everybody knows what to do in a thunderstorm: hold up a one iron, because even God can't hit a one iron." Well, that's a it's golfing, a golfing that's joke. That's a golfing sorry. joke, and I'm <laughs> so, terribly sorry to say I'm not going to join in it because I dis- disapprove deeply of golf. That's because you probably don't like the way it's a good walk spoiled, as uh, some people would call it. There is that, too, yes, but there are other things about okay. it. Okay, all right. Well, we won't go there. No, don't uh, go there. Let's talk about uh, the warnings of a bleak winter in the NHS because we're now being told that, once again, we'd rather you didn't actually bother the NHS with any problems such as you being ill. No, the best way please, to save the NHS yeah. is not to, not, don't use not, it. never to ring it up no. or ask it to do anything for just you. Don't, just don't call us and, and we'll be I, fine. Again, again, just over and over again, the conclusion is it really is time to examine this organisation and see whether we can't do better. Mm. And if anybody says to me, oh, well, you want to introduce an American-style health system, uh, my answer to that is bilge and tripe, indeed, well, tripe marinated in bilge. It's, it's, there are many, many other ways yeah. of running a health service apart from the American yes. one and the British but, one. But to be and honest, the American work, one, as you will know, because you lived there, is not all bad, actually. I found it pretty bad, actually. Did you? I thought it was. It, I had to spend a lot of money on, on what, what was called the health maintenance organisation. Mm. Uh, the the I had a, a hotel pretty uh, sorry, it's a hospital. Easy to confuse. A hospital practically next door to me. And I went there and I spent a day there, having explained to me the way it worked. The insurance companies made it just as inefficient mm. and unpleasant as the NHS mm. in many ways. They're constantly trying to get people out. Uh, get uh, the 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 bills you got were itemised into not not just medical treatment, but then there'd be the, there'd be the nurse, there'd be the anaesthetist, yeah. there'd be a huge, and then there'd be on top of that the bill for actual accommodation. Mm. Yeah. Uh, then at the other end of town there was the big uh, the big Washington public hospital, where you could get treated for nothing if mm. only you were prepared to fill in a, a ninety page means testing yeah. form. Uh, the, the, there is and was public medicine in the United States, but neither of them was very good. Mm. Whereas you went across the border into Canada where they had a thing called the single-payer system, things immediately yeah. changed for the better. Yeah, but, well, they, but, it's, but if you look, I mean, you took, look, look at um, Jeremy Clark writes this wonderful column in The Spectator called Low Life, which yeah. I recommend to anybody. It's a beautiful column, wonderfully written. But he's actually suffering quite badly from cancer, and he recounts his experiences with the French medical system. And it's obviously better than the British one. Mm. 
uh, and it, 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 it plainly is. It's a public system. It's available to everybody, but it's a mixture of insurance and state care. And I don't see why that is such a bad idea no. or why we should immediately reject it. Any, almost anywhere you go on the European continent, you will find good quality medical care, and it's not the NHS. Mm. So why can't we just look at these things and mm. say, actually, maybe we could do better? Yeah. It's not. It's full of inefficiencies. And the news that came out last week, and there's Sarah Knapson in the Daily Telegraph wrote a story about how it's looked quite likely that more people were going to die as a result of this shutdown mm. than had died as a result of COVID. And this is a terrible thing to admit, but it was obvious to, to a lot of us at the time that the, the way the health service was putting up barricades to people going into to GP care or, or hospitals was making this likely. Yeah, and it absolutely came true. Uh, we'll take a small break for a moment. Peter Hitchens is here. We're going to talk about uh, his previous life as an industrial correspondent. There's a lot of strikes going on now. In fact, there's a new one today. Unite have decided to strike at Felixstowe. We'll find out what he thinks about that. Uh, this is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to Talk TV. This is, of course, the Independent Republican. Mike Graham. Peter Hitchens is here. Um, I mentioned your previous uh, as, a, as an industrial correspondent. Yeah. It was a long time ago, but it was at a time of quite a lot of turmoil, wasn't it? Oh, formative years um, of my life. Absolutely. It completely absorbed almost every waking minute of my life from the uh, late 70s to the, to the mid-80s. That's mm. what I was doing. Yeah. Strikes and more strikes. And do you see anything or... different from what's happening oh, now? Oh, hugely different, yes. What, what, what is it, well, what's going on now? The main difference is there are any industry. Mm. So we had the steel industry, we had the coal industry, yeah. we still had some shipbuilding. Uh, the railways, of course, are, are, are almost a reliable source of strikes, but the, the, the engineering industry, the car manufacturing mm. industry was... Well, the car uh, industry in the Midlands in the 70s was huge, wasn't it? Was it? gigantic, yes. And now it doesn't exist, more or less. Well, there are these uh, Japanese-owned uh, car factions. It's a wholly different thing. Yeah. What's, what has actually happened with the unions is that they've got much smaller, and mm. also they've changed their character. A strike in the 1970s meant somebody walked out of work and stayed out of work mm. until, he, until right. they either lost or won. Now a strike means one day strike, and then another one day strike, yeah. and then perhaps another one day strike, except this... And, and here I see it now at the Felix Stowe port. Uh, they're striking for a week. Which yes, is a, that's quite unusual. It is unusual. I imagine what they're aiming to do is to show that one week of this is so unbearable that they... Yeah. Uh, the, the problem with being too powerful in, uh, in trade union terms is that, is that it can make governments and population so angry that you, you can't actually use the strike work. Right. The power workers, the people who ran the power stations, tried to go on strike at one point. Mm in the 1970s and I remember they were they were being interviewed they were interviewed on stage in some news news and audience program frost show or something yeah. like that and when a, a farmer appeared uh, and he sprayed them with the chicken um, excrement with his uh, from the from in the, the TV audience studio. on the TV studio oh, God. and there was and the main reaction of the public was to applaud this yes uh, because everyone was so terrified mm. of the being a permanent shutdown of power uh, that it just felt improper, which in a way it is. Yeah. It's just, I don't think nurses can strike. I, no. I think morally uh, nurses can't strike, police officers can't strike. I think it's very dangerous for firemen to strike. Mm. There's a big fire, fire brigade strike uh, during my time, yes. and which, of course, wasn't so bad because the army stepped in. There was still a lot of old, uh, clapped-out green, green goddesses, uh, yeah. fire engines mm. about but it's it's if you if you've got that much power you can't use it. Mm. So there's that element. But the, the thing that I learned was that generally these disputes did have two sides. But there were some very stupid trade union mm. leaders, and there were some very smart ones. Yes. 
uh, and there were often quite stupid employers as yeah. well who didn't know uh, how to get out of it. But it's 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 not much use uh, talking about greedy workers or people trying to shut down the country because it, it, the grievances of this kind now, especially mm. because the other big thing that's changed is ballots. Yes. Uh, Norman Tebbit uh, devised a system of ballots. If you don't hold ballots, then you lose your immunity from, from being sued, right. which is a big danger for trade unions. So they have to hold these ballots. Mm. And they, th at the moment, it's working. They can hold ballots and say, vote for a strike on such and such a day, right. and we'll get your pay rise. But after a while, they have to keep holding new ballots. And I think quite possibly the number of people prepared to vote for these things may diminish. And I suspect that's what the government are hoping. Yes, although this is a government the, that does a lot of hoping. And a it lot does of a hoping, lot of hoping. And a lot of the hoping is that this will go away. In yeah, the end. it might not. But lots of the things that they thought would go away have not gone away. Well, see, if, you get, if, you get, if you get inflation officially at 11%, mm. and many people's lives considerably higher, by yeah. my guess, people are going to try and get what they can. Mm. And the, the problem, of course, is that only some people will. And when they do, they'll, to some extent, they get it at the expense of other people. Yeah. And also, it won't hold, because I think also, inflation then rolls over into the next year, and, you're, yes. and what you've gained is taken away. It could get very bad indeed. Yeah. And I think the real danger we face in this country at the moment is, is, is a general widespread drop in everybody's standard of mm. living which many people who've got the, the ability to use industrial power will try to escape. Well, I think that's and the that thing. that will lead to a lot of chaos. And in terms of the rail strikes, I think they affect fewer people because many more people, as you've said before, quite happily work from home. But equally, many people have sympathy with the McLynches of this world because they say, well, he's only trying to get a better deal for his, uh, for his union members. And the rail, rail companies themselves are so badly run these difficult to side with them because they don't know what they seem yeah, to know what they're doing. Lynch is a very good spokesman for his cause. There's yeah. no question of it. And he has this uh, he has this, this brilliant laconic uh, style of, of putting it. And he can and generally he's been up against people who don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. And also the problem is that the, the, the privatized rail companies, the actual the, the actual train mm. operators, have had money shoveled into their yes. pockets by the government. For and years. it's hard to defend. Why are they suddenly stopping now? Yeah, I know. And they are they're very difficult people to defend because they have impossible. They've more or less ruined the railway system in this world single-handedly. Well, they were invited to do so by John Major and his yeah. ridiculous rail privatisation, which was one of the stupidest. Mm. Uh, in, 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 in Holland, they were thinking of privatising their railways, the Netherlands, I yeah. would say. And, and they were thinking of adopting the British system. Mm. And they sent some people over to look and they came out and said, don't, whatever right. you do. Well, do you know what else there is? I don't know if you've done. seen this. There's a video that's out there put out by one of the other unions uh, that are involved in rail in which they ex explain how... The money that is given to these railway companies in this country is also ferried out to uh, buy them to Europe. So European train companies and train organisations are being subsidised by British I th I think about, rail I think about half, half our railways are owned by the state-owned railway corporations of, of continental yeah. countries. It's it's quite ridiculous. Yeah, look at it. But that's the thing that but the money's going that way instead of sort of going back into the system. Yeah, quite a lot of it goes it, it, to Europe. It's it's been far more expensive mm. to run the privatised railways for the taxpayer than it was to run the nationalised British. Rail, which yeah. is actually, uh, as Christian Walmart has shown in a recent um, biography of mm. British Rail, was actually towards the end extremely well run mm. uh, under all the very great constraints which face it. 
And we've got a much worse deal as the public and as taxpayers from privatisation than we had from yeah. nationalisation. So do you think it should go back the other way then? Oh, I would nationalise it tomorrow. I mean, look, for heaven's sake, the principle of nationalisation is granted by every government. We nationalise the armed forces. Mm. You don't want a private navy. No. Ridiculous idea. So once you've, you've got the, the principle some things are better run by the government, you just have to work out which things are yes. better run by the government. Two things, evidently, in the past, past few years. Railways and water. Mm. No question. And in my view, also power generation. If we, if we had proper nationalised power yeah. generation, we would have had a fleet of nuclear power stations by now as the French have got, yeah. which would have got us out of the power crisis. We've mm. got. My view is we should scrap the, the ridiculous Trident replacement and spend the money on nuclear power stations instead. If we want to be an independent country, we're at much more risk mm. of the Russian energy threat than we are from any nuclear attack. Yes. But we aren't prepared for it. No, we're not. And we haven't been prepared for it because the infrastructure of the country has been sold off effectively. S- sold and off. all the utility companies have been sold and, off and, and to profiteers. Actually, who have actually taken borrowed money and sent it abroad to their investors. Yeah. It's quite shocking if you look at the history of, uh-huh. of, of Thames Water, for instance, what has happened uh, to, 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 to bodies like mm. this. And they've just become cash cows, haven't they? In which, in which case, um, we probably haven't got time to do this, we'll have to finish mm. it next week. But, you know, perhaps you're going to go back and go full circle and end up being a Trotskyite again. No, no, no. This, it's, it's a matter of... The whole point about, about, about Trotskyism and wild Thatcherism is, is their irrational, dogmatic beliefs that everything can be solved mm. by a single idea. The intelligent person knows that the solution to a problem is particular to that problem. And that there isn't a, a, a world-solving dogma which mm. will actually put everything right. You have to look at things intelligently and say, this will work. Nationalisation will work with railways and water and power generation. It and wouldn't work it. with ice cream stands and it wouldn't work with the radio. Or football clubs, indeed. Peter, thank you very much indeed. Peter Hitchens, back next week. Uh, we've got more coming up after this. Online, on DAB+, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. You know the place to go, uh, the place to get common sense, the place to find out the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Coming up at 12.04 uh, is Lawrence Fox. He's our next guest. He's going to join us. He's, of course, uh, with the Reclaim Party. Uh, I'm not sure if he calls himself the leader of it, because it may be uh, a different organisation to most political organisations. Uh, he's been doing a bit of water skiing. I think he's out in Greece. He's going to be talking to us about his new movie coming up, uh, which is all about um, my son. Hunter, uh, that is of course Hunter Biden, the guy uh, who has been very much at the heart of all sorts of conversations uh, and investigations into what he's actually been up to. He is the son of the President of the United States of America, Joe Biden, a man who loves to wear a mask, a uh, man who can't put his jacket on, all of that sort of thing. Uh, let's go straight now uh, to Mr. Lawrence Fox, uh, who I think is still technically on holiday. Lawrence, a very good afternoon to you. Hi Mike, how are you doing? Mate? Very, very well indeed. Listen, I can't say too can't say too highly how good you are at water skiing. We're going to have a look at that video in a little while. I mean, that could only be the result of an incredibly healthy upbringing, or perhaps just a highly privileged upbringing. I mean, I I've never even tried water skiing because I, I can't afford it. Well, mate, it's down to the mythos and the uh, and the cigarettes. I've got to say, look uh, at that this. form is not it's not that good. I used to be better. Really? But look, I'm an I'm an old man now. Listen, and, you can't uh, you can't come on this radio station and call yourself an old man when I'm on it because I'm a, I'm afraid to say rather a lot older than you are I suspect but uh, but you're looking good on it anyway. Thanks, mate. That's very kind of you. Now we've spoken a few times uh, recently about this movie that's coming up. We've got a little trailer I think that we can show everybody uh, that we picked up on your uh, Twitter account. Can we see that? Let's have a look. Yeah. Oh boy. 
Very good. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, is it finished or are you still working on it? No, it's finished. Uh, and that's the teaser trailer. The longer trailer, I think, comes out next week before right. it's released. And the longer trailer is yeah, even better. It's, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a, a parallel culture, isn't it? That's starting to develop in life between the sort of mainstream woke movies with um, multiracial Anne Boleyns mm. and then stories about stuff that people are interested in, like the Biden film. It's actually weirdly not a political film. Uh, it's a film about a guy who's just trying to impress his dad, really. Yeah. And it's it's a kind of gangster comedy. Yes. Uh, but, it, but unfortunately, the subject matter is so serious mm. that you either laugh or cry at it because the Biden family do this great impression of being like, you know, good old Joe Biden from Scranton, normal guy from Ohio, but somehow he's managed to accumulate an incredible amount of wealth. And so is his son. And this film covers how that took place. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's jaw dropping actually yeah. in a lot of ways. It is amazing because he is, as you say, a fascinating character, Hunter Biden, because we've all seen, you know, the stories about the, the, the hookers and the cocaine and the, uh, um, you know, the laptop and what was on it. And some of it appears to be so bizarre that it couldn't be true. And yet it well probably is. And as you say, I mean, Donald Trump used to go on about this, that the swamp is full of people who basically say that they've been making $200,000 a year for a long time, but they somehow have hundreds of millions of dollars at their disposal. And it doesn't really make any sense. Well, as far as, as far, you know, I, I, as you know, I am political. So as, as well as trying to, you know, I, I'm basically an artist, but I'm also now political. Uh, it's astonishing that Joe Biden has, has sold America to the Chinese in the way that he has done. Uh, and Virus Sun, you know, and, and this film covers all of that. And uh, it's I think when people see it, they will go. Oh, wow. Mm. And how did I you find filming it because you've been out of the the business for a while haven't you 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 were filming i think in eastern europe and you you've been running for mayor of london and that kind of thing building up a political party so did it feel good to be back doing something like that well it's really sad you know and it it's such a sad testament of the times uh, that we live in because essentially i spent three years at the you know one of the best drama schools you can go to i spent 22 years working non-stop as an actor i said england wasn't a racist country i was then removed from my career i was banned from acting mm. by the woke lot which is fine they can do that if they want to and they can make films for each other and like as you just said on the thing cine world is about to close you know people are not interested in this stuff yeah. So um, it's bittersweet because I know that it's only sabbatical. I know that no one's going to go, oh, Lodge, we'd have you back. And it's it's a sad reflection of what show business should be because show business should should be about challenging culture. It shouldn't be about applauding it, especially yeah. what, we get, we, what we've got at the moment, which is just woke culture, which the irony is any of my actor mates who I love and they contact me privately go on about, oh, mate, I really feel for you. I'm like, don't worry, your job's next. Yeah. You know, you'll... But this you're, is a bit... This is a bit they don't yeah. get, isn't it? I mean, it's like I've got people that, that you would know if I told you their names who say to me, look, I love listening to your show. I love watching it. I can't tell my friends because, you know, they ostracise me. I'm like, what? Why? You know, it's like I'm not exactly, you know, running to hit the youth here, you know, but that's how they see it, you know. And I've run into more and more people over time who go, oh, Mike Graham's going to be doing this with me. And then they kind of shiver in horror. And then actually they realise, actually, I'm not the devil. I don't have, you know, seven fingers and I don't have horns coming out of my head. You know, I just happen to think some things that you don't think. That's OK. Um, and you're right. I mean, they will be next because, you know, the wokest now are the establishment. That's the problem. So if you want to be a rebel now, you know, you just have to go against that. 
Yeah, 100%. I think the most important thing is that we continue to dissent against this stuff. You know, we've got every single foundational institution in our country infected by this. We've got the NHS spending billions of uh, millions of taxpayers' money on woke stuff. You've got police who can't be bothered to go and solve burglaries learning the Macarena. You've got, you, you, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're being laughed at. The ordinary people of this country are being laughed at. And then this sort of, the minute you dissent from it, you're called a racist. But yeah. The only racism that I can see which is systemic in this country is against white people yeah. and that's and, and i hate to point it out in that way and i hate even referring to skin color and immutable characteristics so i think it's just dreadful and you should judge someone on the content of their character not the color of their skin mm. but um we're, we're living in a country now where the only form of acceptable racism is against white people we're living in a country where the only form of acceptable criticism is against british culture which and british writers and heritage we're having our universities decolonize their curriculum from great writers our children are being indoctrinated in school that they can become boys or girls if they want to and and you know this is the work of this is the work of a very evil movement mm. and even trump himself has said because he, he's noticing what's happening with the fbi which are basically being used to keep the democrats in power in america even trump the man who can't keep his mouth shut over anything has said everyone needs to calm down yeah. because america is on the verge and britain is not far behind you know no, America is very, very much in a bad place. I think as bad as it's ever been. You know, I lived in America in the 80s when, when it was a great place to live. You know, I went there from London and suddenly discovered this amazing country with so much opportunity where anyone could do anything. And, you know, the guy next to you driving a, a Rolls Royce could have come to, to the US from Mexico and made his fortune and nobody cared. Now it's all riven by ridiculous personality cult politics and it's nonsense have you had any feedback from from the biden administration or from anyone over there uh they sent a spy onto our set uh <laughs> when we when we were filming uh, obviously he, not a very good one hunter biden's lawyers actually sent a spy uh. and then we because because a lot of it was night shoots i did a night shoot and then they asked to interview me and they said they were the team from south park oh, yeah. who wanted to to mock it uh, you know, wanted to join us in a mocking it, but it was actually under Biden's lawyer. And they convinced um, or pretty much all of us to sit down and do long form interviews. So bearing in mind that I finished work at four in the morning, uh, it'd be interesting to see, what, I can't even remember what I said. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably got them busy working away, digging, digging around. And when does it actually come out? When is it available to, to watch? I think it's, I think it's September the 11th. Okay. Uh, uh, I think right. I, I can never remember. I can never remember. I've also sort of tried to turn my phone off on holiday. But yeah, the, I think the main trailer comes out next. Uh, you know, either the towards the end of this week. I don't even know what day it is. But if I'm honest, Mike, sorry, I'm on holiday. That's, that's a proper it holiday. That's a proper holiday. It's as it as it should. Uh, be. I'm sorry to have had to disturb you on it. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's early September. It's obviously timed for the midterms, and I think that you know. The revelations that are coming out about this family this this essentially you know what happens again this just this point about political elites right mm. you know if, if we talk about slavery and stuff like that and everyone goes on about oh it's slavery and you're responsible for slavery it was those political elites that could afford slaves not right. the rest of us right so that so the, so your average human being your average person in in britain in america is being told that they are in some way 
responsible and guilty for crime committed by not their ancestors, but the ancestors of the elites that live today. And um, and we and we should remember, and the working people of Britain uh, should remember, I know it's pretty rich coming from east out of Greek island, but the working people of Britain should remember they made this country, not the elites. Yes. I'm going to read out a text from somebody called Robin here, because everything is not all, and it's not all lost, Robin. He says, Mike, I like Lawrence Fox, but it's interesting when I say the same in text, I send you, they are never read out. So there you go. They've broken that taboo. I must admit, discrimination. Mate. I must admit. Well, it is. I mean, yeah. Obviously, whenever I see any text that mentions you, Lawrence, I never read it out because that would be wrong. Um, what about um, Hunter Biden himself? Do you think he's a fa- he's a character that you can have some sympathy with? Is he kind of lost in in whatever it is he's lost in? Well, your job as an actor is not to judge the character you play. Your job as an actor is to represent truthfully the human being written on the page. Yeah. So he came across to me. I, I, I'm not judging him. I, 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 you know, I'm my personal private political views about him. But, I, but I, when playing him, I just went, you know, I did smoke fake crack and snort fake cocaine for um, four and a half weeks. And I tell you what. Having previously not, I never did crack, but I did a load of coke when I was younger. I would have preferred to have done the real thing <laughs> because my 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 lung absolutely clogged up with whatever this stuff is that they use yeah. for fake cocaine, and then I lost a stone in weight from smoking whatever the fake crack is. Blimey! So um, yeah, and my voice is actually only just coming back. Yeah, yeah. Don't try this at home. I think would be the message. Now, what can you tell us about? We've only got about half a half a minute left. I mean, we're going to have a new prime minister in it soon, by the time you're back, possibly. Uh, Liz Truss yeah. or Rishi Sunak. I mean, it's not much of a choice, really, is it? No, I've given up on the, my interest in what the unit party is. I think it's becoming pain, painfully obvious to people that, um, that you know, it's two cheats in the same ass. I think that we should adopt the American system where anybody can stand for leadership of the Conservative Party. Mm. I think it's amazing that Kemi Baynock uh, did so well. I think this prime minister will last for two years. And I think when uh, the Lib Lab, Lib Lab uh, you know, coalition kicks in come next general election, I think we, we, we may be on heading well down the path of where America is going. Yeah. So we need a proper conservative like Kenny Bednock. Yeah, I think a lot of people listening to this will agree with you. Lawrence, have a great holiday. Thank you so much for talking to us. And uh, we'll look forward to the release uh, of this new movie, uh, which is coming out. Uh, Hunter Biden, of course. My son Hunter is known. It's starring Lawrence Fox. Uh, it's available for streaming uh, sometime after September the 7th. Could be September the 11th. Around that time, uh, we'll perhaps review it uh, very well as well. This is Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 